Hello, this is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. Catholic Baltimore is a weekly radio program hosted by the Archdiocese of Baltimore, airing each Sunday following the broadcast of the Radio Mass of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic radio partners for sharing with us some of the content in this program and for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to the Archdiocese of Baltimore every Sunday. Welcome to Catholic Baltimore. This is Emily Rosenthal, and today we are speaking with Father Ed Hendricks, pastor of Divine Mercy Parish in Western Allegheny and Northern Garrett Counties. Welcome to the show, Father Hendricks. Thank you, Emily. I appreciate it. So if you might, wouldn't mind talking a little bit about how um, your churches in this area came together to form a pastorate. Okay. It's rather uh, a long story in the sense that we began our regional planning in 1992. So we started playing Bishop uh, P. Francis Murphy, who's deceased. He was our Western vicar. He encouraged us to begin a planning process in 92 that's kind of brought us to where we are today. So um, what I'm talking about in terms of Divine Mercy Parish was very evolutionary. It was not a radical change, a radical shift. Um, when I became pastor um, in uh, 2012, we uh, had four separate parishes, five ch- separate churches. They were St. Peter's Western Port, St. Gabriel Barton, um, St. Michael Frostburg, St. Joseph Midland, and St. Peter Western Port. We had a church that was not being used, which was St. Mary's Lone Coning. Uh, which was part of the mix, but there were no services there because the uh, church was um, full of mold. So it became very clear to us that the next step in our process would be to look at the possibility of a merger of, of all places. Um, so we, 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 we began the process by setting up a, a committee that we called our transition team. First of all, we met with pastoral councils, and finance councils, once they had said, let's further the process, we then began in earnest deciding, how do we do this? So members of finance and or pastoral council became part of the transition team. And it was about a year-long process after that of working together to determine what would be the best thing to do here. And merger seemed the most um, appropriate uh, part of the process. One of the things we had to deal with early on was building real estate. We had, at one point, um, six different sites and eight, uh, uh, 16 different buildings. Uh, we now have um, five sites and eight buildings. So we've, we've had our number of buildings. Um, and um, some of those were easy to, to deal with. Um, at St. Mike's of Frostburg, we gave the old convent and school, which were closed for, for quite a while, to the Frostburg Museum. So they're, they're now setting up shop to be, begin a museum in town. Their previous museum was, was nowhere near Main Street. Uh, St. Peter Westernport, the school had not been used for a number of years, needed a lot of repairs. Um, the decision was to tear that down. Um, at St. Gabriel Barton, which was only, only had been a mission of St. Peter's since 1928, at St. Gabriel's, we tore down the old rectory because it was falling down. The place where we had the most, um, I guess, trauma was St. Mary's Lone County. The church was full of mold, and the mold could not be remediated. Um, the contractor said he, he, could, he would do it, but couldn't guarantee that it would stay out. There was a, a, a stream literally running through the basement of the church. 
So we had um, this company coming to sonograms. The church was full of molds. Uh, the health department concurred in the idea of tearing it down. That was a very difficult decision for everybody. Um, the decision was made on the archdiocesan level after we recommended it. And um, we had a team from the archdiocese come out and, and share with the people what was happening. Once the church came down, we then sold the rest of the property that included what was the old rectory that had not been lived in a number of years and the parish hall. So to make a long story short, we've gone from, as I said, uh, 16 buildings on six sites to eight buildings on five sites. So with, with, with the, the buildings under control, they were really impacting our budget negatively. I mean, we're talking about insurances, utilities. You know, it was just a lot of money going out for unused buildings. Once that was under control, we really could concentrate totally on the merger and have discovered that with the merger, we've saved money. Um, we didn't lose any personnel, any staff. Um, and we're at the point now people go to church, to a church, depending upon mass time, that's convenient. So we've seen a lot of crossover between people from St. Michael's, say going to mass at St. Anne's or St. Joe's. Um, St. Joe's, people going to St. Michael's or St. Peter's. So um, people now under, recognize that we're one parish, the University Parish, and they can go to Mass any of the, of, the, of the four Sunday Mass sites. They'll either have me or Father Eric, who is the Capuchin priest, who assists us. So they have come to find home is not just in one place. But as I said, this was a, this was a, a, a gradual evolutionary process starting from 1992. Now, it was obviously more... Uh, more um, put together in the last eight years, six, I'm sorry, six, six years, but it was on everyone's kind of radar. This was in, in, in this direction. So in the two counties, Garrett County and Allegheny County, at one point we had um, 13 parishes in one mission. We now have three parishes. Us, uh, Lay of the Mountains, which was a combination of, of five parishes in the Cumberland area, and then, of course, St. Peter in Oakland, which includes um, their, their uh, church site at the lake. Deep, Deep Creek Lake. So we've really gone to three three pastorates, three parishes in our region. But again, it began in 92, and we evolved into who we are. And the evolution is still going on, probably in, in, a, in less dramatic ways. But uh, we're always planning. That's great. So um, with a lot of the parishes in the archdiocese moving towards this pastorate uh, formation, what advice would you have for the parishes? You're kind of ahead of the time um, as far as this goes. So what advice would you have for other parishes that are moving towards this um, type of format? I think, first of all, it's important to recognize that each parish um, that's in, in a pastorate, you know, they may not have cooperated too much in the past, but we can all learn from each other. So, for instance, um, Parish A may have... Um, you know, uh, a wonderful way of dealing with families, say, um, at, at a funeral, doing a bereavement, luncheon, say. Parish B may not have that. They can learn from Parish A. So I think if, if parishes go into this, um, working with the pastor, obviously, and pastoral councils and finance councils are willing to talk to each other, I think a, a pastor can work very well because if you learn from each other, we're all doing the same mission. Maybe a little differently, but we're all doing the same mission, and we can learn what has worked, what is working, and, and we can learn maybe what has worked in Parish A can work in Parish B uh, in, in, in the pastoral model. So um, it takes trust. I think it takes trust on the, on the, on the role of, of uh, if you have a new pastor, trusting your new pastor. 
uh, trusting the Archbishop and this plan that has been uh, gone through a lot of a lot of revisions and a lot of um, vetting is a good plan, and you know everyone wants to see this work, but it works by us trusting in the process, trusting that we can learn from each other and grow together, and actually make our mission uh, a better and accomplished in a better way. Wonderful. And how do you think that the people of the parishes that have come together, how do you think that that has benefited them? I think, first of all, um, we have unified liturgy. So no matter where they go, you know, we, 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 our, our liturgy is vibrant. We've got, we've got a music director who, who works with all music people in all four, four, four churches. Um, you know, things that we do, Father Eric and I work closely together in terms of, of, of our presiding, of our homilies. Um, so, and we, we rotate through the, through the mass schedule. So each place will see us over two weeks. Every mass will see each of us over two weeks. Um, so they know that we're there. We're not, you know, favoring one side over another um, or church over another. They see that we're interested in everyone at each, at each site. And so we began a parish picnic um, about two years before I became pastor. That's one parish picnic for everybody. And each year the number grows, and you see people um, working, you know, talking together, working together from different sites, different churches, and uh, making it happen. We've also, uh, our religious education program is we've got two, two K through five is two, two groups. One is at St. Joe's, which is for St. Anne's, I'm sorry, for St. For Peter's, St. Joe's, St. Mike's. There's a small kind of a home-based model at St. Anne's, K through five. Now, middle school, high school is all St. Joe's. So the parents see each other at, at parent prep for sacraments. Um, they see each other, you know, dropping kids off and the events we have with, with education, formation. So that has been really helpful. And so we're seeing people working together, like our money counters, for instance. All money is counted at St. Mike's. We have money counters from every site uh, on the teams. So everyone pitches in and make it happen. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Father Hendricks. And after we come back, we'll continue talking about your Western Maryland parish. Okay, thank you. News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world from the Catholic Review. At least 33 parishes responded to Archbishop William E. Lorry's call to prayer and repentance for the healing of victims of sexual abuse and the healing of the Church. The Archbishop called for Masses and fasting September 7th as a day of reparation to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. In addition to Masses celebrated on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, parishes opened their doors for Eucharistic adoration, rosaries, chaplets of the Divine Mercy, prayer services, and open forums for parishioners to ask questions and comment on the crisis. At Holy Family Parish in Randallstown, a day of Eucharistic adoration September 6th was followed by an evening open forum attended by about 40 people, and a similar session after morning Mass September 7th. Meanwhile, at St. John in Westminster, the day of reparation coincided with the opening Mass of the school year at the parish school. The parish pastoral leadership team, in messages to the community, has detailed measures the parish is taking to protect children and the steps it will take to promote spiritual healing. It's not just about rules and procedures and process, Father Mark Bialek, pastor, said. As many have said, first and foremost, it's spiritual, and so being able to bring the presence of Christ to our people 
in a time of need is paramount. The opening Mass for the school year included a Eucharistic procession in which Father Bialak and Father Andrew DeFusco, associate pastor, blessed the school building. At a midday Mass at the Baltimore Basilica, September 7th, Archbishop Lori said that at the present time in the Church's life, we are confronted with a tsunami of abuse and perversion, the abuse of young and innocent people, the abuse of power, the abuse of trust. And even if these grave sins were committed decades ago, many victims continue to bear the terrifying scars of these sins, and the Church herself continues to be deeply scarred and wounded by them, he said. As a continued response to the crisis in the Church, the Vatican announced September 12th that Pope Francis is calling the presidents of every Catholic bishops' conference in the world to Rome, February 21st through 24th, 2019, to discuss the prevention of the abuse of minors and vulnerable adults. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, this is Christopher Gunty for Catholic Baltimore. Do you want to know more about what's going on in the church and the world than you can get from your daily newspaper or local TV? Read the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the church full-time, The Catholic Review. Pick up the print magazine monthly at your parish or have The Catholic Review delivered to your home every month. You can get fresh news every day online at catholicreview.org. Subscribe to the Catholic Review e-newsletter for twice-a-week updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Find our app on Apple and Android and follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Wherever your faith takes you, Catholic Review Media is ready to inspire, teach, inform, and engage. Read it today in print and online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. You are listening to Catholic Baltimore on Talk Radio 680 WCBM. We're back on Catholic Baltimore speaking with Father Ed Hendricks about how his Western Maryland parish, Divine Mercy, has formed a pastorate. Father Hendricks, how is Western Maryland, how are the challenges different from those um, Baltimore parishes face? I think we have many things in common. We certainly have um, our poor. Rural poor will be a little different than urban poor. But we do have um, people who assist with rent uh, or utilities. And uh, all four of our um, church sites were part of an inter- interfaith um, or ecumenical food pantries. So, you know, we do help out our people in the community uh, when they come to us for, with food, clothing, uh, of course, as I mentioned, utilities and rent. So those would be, I think, similarities. I think there's a common misperception that being out in Western Maryland, somehow we're forgotten by the archdiocese. Um, and I think maybe in the past there was some element of truth of that. But my experience has been whenever we've called for assistance in terms of, say, from human resources, from insurances, from the chancery office with Dr. Diane Barr, who was very instrumental with us in terms of the merger, uh, was that here numerous times, um, whoever we called has always been responsive and very helpful. Um, you know, one of the good things is Archbishop Laurie over the past several years has, has celebrated Mass at each of our churches. With a little reception afterwards, so our people have met Archbishop Laurie. Um, and we really, really enjoy when he can come out to be with us for Mass. Um, and so I think having his presence, what was happening during the merger process, you know, was, I think, very helpful and, and, and very... Um, 
very comforting to people knowing that, you know, we had the support of the Archbishop on this, and um, whenever we called for assistance, we got help. So I, for one, believe very strongly that, that um, you know, the, the Catholic Center has done marvelous things for us and continues to, to do that because so when, we, when we call, they respond, and they even come out to help us out a lot. So um, we've been very blessed, I think, in terms of the assistance. I don't think we could have gotten as far as we did in the time that we did without all the offices at the Catholic Center really assisting us, whether it was real estate, whether it was the canonical or legal issues with Dr. Barr, um, whether it was HR issues, whether it was insurance issues, um, financial questions with from um, uh, the people in the finance office. So we have been, I think, very blessed and, and helped any time we've asked for help. And so how do you like being the pastor of a, of a parish out here in Western Maryland? Well, I've, I've been ordained 41 years, and I've spent 32 of those years in, in, in Western Maryland. We now call it Mountain Maryland. Um, I was a newly ordained priest at St. Peter's Westerport. I was the last associate pastor there. I was there from 77 to 81. I came back in 92 as a chaplain at Frostburg State University. I was there for almost 20 years. And then in 2012, became the pastor of Divine Mercy. So even though I grew up in the, in the um, Baltimore area, mainly Bel Air, Hartford County, um, this is my home. And the people here are very wonderful. So to be pastor out here is a real joy for me, a real blessing for me to... Uh, to minister to and with the people of, of uh, Divine Mercy Parish. So speaking of Divine Mercy, um, when you became a pastor, at how did you come up with the name for Divine Mercy? Part of the process for approval for the merger was I appeared before the Presidential Council, which I'm a member of. And, uh, and then Archbishop Lurie asked for uh, a list of eight names, possible names for the name of the parish. So we had done a couple surveys in the parish, and a couple runoffs, like balloting and church. So we came up with eight names. Divine Mercy was near the top of the list, as was, for instance, um, St. John, John the 23rd, uh, Church of the Incarnation, several others like that. So when uh, Archbishop chose Divine Mercy, we were very pleased because that was a name that everyone seemed to love. Um, and uh, it really fits us, I think, very well. We really are trying to be a sign of God's mercy, God's love, uh, God's forgiveness of the people of our region. And so I think our name assists us in that ministry. It assists us in really reaching out to people uh, because we're trying to live up, live up to our name. So what are some of the ways that you do uh, live up to your name? For instance, at, at all of our churches, when we have a funeral, the, um, we offer to the family a luncheon after the burial uh, or after the funeral mass, if there's an immediate burial. Um, and there's no charge. So we have volunteers uh, at all sites who will do a, do a luncheon. And it's a very nice way for people to, rec- you know, leaving a funeral and a burial is really tough emotionally. Instead of going right back to their houses with, with, with you know, guests and relatives, they come to our, our, our halls, they have a nice luncheon, and uh, so there's no charge. Now, we have found that most people give donations, and the donations more than cover the cost. Um, but we don't care whether they donate or not. That's one way. As I mentioned earlier, the food pantries, rent assistance, or the uh, utility assistance, you know, and our money from our poor box helps cover all that. So we really try and reach out to the people of, of our community, and not just Catholics. So if someone comes to us, you know, um, that's been recommended to us by, say, social services, we're happy to assist them with, with um, the food. Um, and we, we, we're very blessed, again, as I said, having these as, as a 
uh, interfaith ecumenical food pantries. So it's all the churches in that region getting together. And so we collect food once a month at all four of our church sites um, that will go to that, that food pantry. Uh, so people give food. They give money towards the food or towards the assistance. Um, so our, we really try to reach out to, especially those in need. Um, our county is, our two counties, but especially Allegheny County, is predominantly senior citizens. So you have a lot of seniors who are living by themselves. Their spouse has died. Maybe their spouse might be in a nursing home. Their kids don't live here because um, the job situation is here is not really good. We're still in, uh, about 10% unemployment. Um, the jobs have faded in the, in the region, so people leave for jobs. So they can find themselves in these big houses paying exorbitant you know, uh, uh, costs for uh, heating, um, maybe for their medicines, have a hard time getting food. So we try to reach out to the people that we know are are uh, in need, and and our people just come up to the plate, step up to the plate, and assist with donation of food, clothing, whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, I think there's some of the ways we try and really live divine mercy, and and really recognize the compassion that Christ has for all of us, and we're called to have for, for one another. When you first drive into Frostburg, I noticed um, there's a sign that says Frostburg's churches welcome you. Right. And I think that that really speaks to what you've been saying is that you're really a part of the community and and helping everyone in the community here. And us, we're we're, we're a Main Street community and our church is on Main Street, as are several churches in Frostburg. And so we have people kind of stop in because we're on the the main drag. It's Route 40, Main Street in Frostburg, um, for assistance or just a talk. Maybe there's, there's issues. So we try and be there for whoever you know rings our doorbell and, and or, or calls us on the phone. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So, uh, what are some of the things that you deal with every day as a pastor out here? Driving, <laughs> it's part of it. Um, from one end to the other, it's thirty-two miles one way. So I put probably about twenty-five thousand miles in my car a year, just you know, for parishes. We have funeral. I had a funeral this morning. Um, we have a, a fair number of funerals between our four churches. Um, so we have daily mass. We'll have maybe a funeral. Um, you know, we're, we're as part of our our, our, our our pastorate, we are beginning the process next month. We're, we're in the next phase of the pastor process. Um, I think it's phase 1A. Um, so that'll be starting soon. We, we just hired a director of mission who is going to be assisting us in looking at parish renewal programs as well as how do we continue to recognize all of us, not just the pastor or staff, but all of us, are baptized, called to be to be disciples of Christ, and to be missionaries for Christ? And so we're we're starting that process, and it's, it, it, it's going to be an exciting process, I believe. Um, for me, we can do that easily because all the real estate issues are gone, you know, all the building issues are gone by and large, um, and we now have the resources to really look at, I say, a renewal program or, or how uh, Marky Myers, our director of mission, uh, uh, where we can go with all this. So we're still, you know, we're still evolving. And it's an exciting process, I think, ahead of us. And I'm certainly looking forward to being part of that process. And I think our people are, as we've been giving them more and more information in the bulletin and for the pulpits, for the pulpit announcements, um, to really see our role as, as true missionary disciples. Great. Well, thank you so much, Father Hendricks, for speaking with us today. You have been listening to Catholic Baltimore. This is Emily Rosenthal. 
For 143 years, New Cathedral Cemetery has served the needs of the Catholic community of Baltimore and Central Maryland. New Cathedral is the only cemetery owned by the Archdiocese of Baltimore and is the final resting place for many religious orders and famous citizens. 125 acres of rolling hills, trees, and beautiful monuments, the cemetery is an oasis of peace and tranquility and is located off Edmondson Avenue just outside of Catonsville. New Cathedral is dedicated to the task of tending to the mortal remains of our dearly departed and has many more years of available space. If you are in need of a burial site, vault, monument, or marker, or just a respectful location to place your cremated loved ones, our counselors will help you through this process and make sure the wishes of you and your loved ones are honored. Visit us online at newcathedralcemetery.org, like us on Facebook at New Cathedral Cemetery Bonnie Bray, or call 410-566-7770. Child abuse is not only a crime, it's also a sin. The Archdiocese of Baltimore has long made the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through rigorous training and background checks, and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org. Life can be hard, and at times we feel overwhelmed and alone. When faced with problems, know that there is a group of Catholics who are part of the prayer ministry of the Archdiocese of Baltimore, waiting to lift you and your needs to God in prayer. This ministry is comprised of men and women, young and old, religious and lay, from every ethnic and cultural background. They pray as individuals and in groups, in homes and meeting spaces throughout Baltimore. Like you, they are people who have suffered the same hurts, fears, pains, sickness, loss, and everyday burdens. Learn more about this ministry by visiting our website at www.archbalt.org. If you are in need of prayer, send your prayer request to prayers at archbalt.org or by phone to 410-547-5517. Would you like to volunteer to be a part of the ministry? Prayer ministers are always needed. Please call or email our coordinator who would be happy to speak with you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Baltimore. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May God bless us and keep us always in his love.